Welcome to another episode of No Plans to Merge. I am your host, Caleb Porzio. And I am your host, Daniel Colborn. And today's episode is brought to you by the Daisy Seed. So, thank you, Daisy Seed. Okay. Uh, I have not yet been introduced to the sponsor, so I'm just going to guess what the Daisy Seed is. Um, okay. So, the Daisy Seed is one of the following for sure. It is a uh, local coffee shop. Okay. It is a cult. Mm-hmm. Um or a local coffee shop owned by I a was cult. just gonna say Daniel. The Yellow Deli. <laughs> a ding ding ding. <laughs> no. Um The Yellow Deli. You have yellow delis up there in upstate New York, right? Got one down the road. Okay, cool. Chattanooga has a yellow deli where I went to college. Yeah, that's great. They've they've never opened, they just work on it and it looks beautiful because they all have long hair and they just oh, like really? make they're it like amazingly... a super duper cult. Yeah, for sure. Now they tried to recruit me when they were building it. Yeah, they tried to so one time in college me and this girl were at uh the yellow deli it was kind of like a i don't know are we gonna date or not type of situation right yeah. and we were both writing papers and we both had to pull all-nighters so we were just hanging out at the yellow deli like being in college um and i i went to a christian college so i was like writing a paper about genesis for this bible I can't class believe I you had. went to a christian college i know it's crazy dude so i had a bunch of books about genesis like laid around on this table yeah doing research for this paper i was writing and the dude rolled up and clocked it immediately and was like actually did you know that the genesis creation story isn't just describing earth but is also describing the many other planets that we all have within us it was like <laughs> oh no shit really <laughs> and so then i just kind of like hum- humored the dude and let him tell me about how uh genesis was this wild creation oh story mega yellow deli lots of 12 uh, tribes. child abuse amphetamines yeah correct. 12 tribes yes, lots of stuff good stuff and if you're a listener of the show and you're part of 12 tribes i want to apologize in advance uh, i don't apologize get out of there <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing text help to daniel's help phone number which me. is Eight two four. My telegram is on my website, culp.com. Yes. Did you say cults.com? Culphelp.com. Okay. So thank you, 12 Tribes, for sponsoring the show. What is the Daisy scene for real, though? It's a audio microcontroller. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Not working well. Uh, What? Not working well? What do you mean? Oh, is it not part of the audio chain that just failed us so hard before this? Oh, no, no, no. Completely. It's just like to make synthesizers and stuff. Oh, it's like well, a synth. We talked about the um, Chompy, is it? No. Is it Chompy? Oh, yeah, 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 Chompy, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That really the, the mechanical... sexy synth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they just used the Daisy Seed. I just saw that like Chompy's built on Daisy Seed. I or see. somebody said that or whatever. And it's just this chip. It's 30 bucks, And it's like an oh, Arduino, shit. but purpose built for audio Did you get processing. One? So I ordered one and have you played with it? I have. And I just have got you it all any Rust for it? So dude, you can't write Rust for it, dude. Really? Yeah. It you can write C that's kind of the main bit. Um Arduino C or whatever the Arduino is. Um and then they support like this thing called 
some some visual programming language data scratch or something uh, it's like r- more hardcore than that it's like data i don't remember um but yeah and i think there's one more language but i was surprised and i was like kind of bummed like man how cool would this be if i could also if i could either a use a programming language i know so that this or is b, a lot easier or b learn a language i want to learn yeah not c plus plus unfortunately um but yeah it's pretty sweet it's like really low level it's kind of it's pretty hardcore device but it but it makes a lot of things really easy like i just have a little button it's on so i got this little like breadboard and then a button that just plays like an oscillator in an envelope Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. a little like potentiometer to change the frequency of the oscillator so the most basic little synth machine um you have a baby synth yeah but dude you can you could do anything with it you could do any kind of audio processing you want to do and it's like crazy low latency because it's all kind of like optimized hardware for it so that's awesome yeah so yeah one so i just you should buy one dude 30 bucks and that's it it's got everything on board and it's all you need is a usb port yeah i dude i really i don't know when i'm gonna have this year but i need a year yeah yeah you know what i'm saying oh i know what you're saying I need a year. So I've been forcing to like myself to do my own shit. I yeah. gotta like sell a company or something. I know. So I could have a year. <laughs> a year would be great. I am working with like an hour, you know, yeah, once right. every week. Um <laughs> Because like the thing when you say you should buy one, yeah. Here's exactly the thoughts I have. Yep. I have wanted a set of very specific controls for my microphone oh, for a dude. long time. Okay, here we go. You know what I'm saying? I do. I want um, a volume button. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That basically like detects like I talk and then it detects like where are my levels compared to where compared to whatever baseline I've set. Okay. And just kind of like while I have this button held down, it adjusts the levels until like the average volume is like. Oh, that's what, pretty cool. At the baseline I've set. I like right? that. Yeah. And then I want a hold mute button. Right? Yeah. So like you right. hold it down and you're muted. Uh, and that you is the way, it, dude. A big and red you're not muted. mute button. So you don't but, get in like mute inversion trap where uh, you know exactly you're like. And I want it to have, but I, it needs to have like attack and decay on the mute, right? Uh, so like it has to slowly go yeah. to mute and slowly come out of mute because otherwise you get the clicking sound of like true click 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 yep. of like muting. So. There are like hardware mute buttons that like hard interrupt the XLR connection. Yeah. But like, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like the clicking sound would enter. Yeah. You, you want know? a soft. Or even if there's just a slight amount of room noise, like the lack of room noise would be sudden. Yeah. And so you would, you would notice. So anyway. The envelope, like there's a lot of, you know, a lot in the daisy lib or whatever, like whatever lib daisy or something that's like got all, like you could just new up an envelope and uh-huh. set its attack and delay the only the thing that's kind of complicated to process mentally is the whole thing exists in an infinite loop of course you know and yeah. so that loop has like a set like size like audio sample rate size you know kind of like what we talked about on the last show with audio mm-hmm. so you are accessing values in the envelope in instance as like time offsets you know uh-huh. so it's just it's just a kind of a weird way to think about a program because you're thinking about it in like instantaneous slices uh-huh. you know so i don't know it's just that's i'm just having like a little bit of a difficult mental time but dude you could just paste in random like 
example programs into ChatGPT and just say, explain this to me. And it knows like libdaisy or whatever. So it's just like, oh, and it knows C++ because, you know, and it's like, it's like, hey, like this line does this and then this and it's super helpful. So um, shabloin. Dude, the, the explain <laughs> this to me lifestyle is great. Oh, yeah. It is so good. great. Dude, I don't know. We haven't like talked like topics here, but Daniel, I was a React programmer for a week straight. Really? Yeah. How'd you like it? Um, this was my like first time actually writing React. I know. Like, Hilarious. As a real, like to try to write a real application. Um, it was fun. I wrote, I kept a running list of pros and cons, things I like, things I don't like. That's what pros and cons means. Uh-huh. And it, uh, yeah, I have notes. We can go through a few of them if you want, but. Um, I'm interested. But the the gist is uh it was fun i started by going no framework because i've written like thousands of hours of react I, yeah i know i there is actually one pattern that i thought like i need i need daniel to tell me how to get how to not do this i kept like falling into this use effect mixed with use ref trap that, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that i was just like because you're you know. such like a dom oriented guy maybe yeah i don't know what was the what was the ins- what was the i kept case? having to reach for it when i was oh i'd have to like think for a second um but there are times where you know okay we're we're going like immediately Let's into the deepest it. part of of my react review <laughs> which Here if you, you don't know react hooks this is gonna make not a lot of sense um, One thing, Caleb, that you might not expect is that everyone else actually knows, knows React. React. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so it's fine. Yeah. So like if you're in a use effect hook and you're referencing a piece of state that you use uh-huh. use state to create and like that state is stale because that variable was like declared up front, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, if I have like use effect and an event listener or something inside use effect or whatever, just some reason for it to you know, re-trigger. Um, if you're, let me think if it's, if I'm doing use effect where I pass a dependency into the array, this is mm-hmm. fine. I'm pretty sure this all works, but when mm-hmm. you don't, if you have an external trigger for that use effect, you're referencing a variable that was created with use state and it's stale. So you have to like create a ref to store a reference to that variable, you know, and then access dot current. Why can't? Why don't you just pass the variable in as a dependency? The um, one that is now because stale? I don't want this to trigger every time the dependency changes. I want it to trigger on a like a specific in a I specific see. situation. So you what? So you have some sort of like external thing? Yeah. I see. Like I think a good example. I don't think this is the thing I am doing, but like a good example is like an event listener. So if you want to set like a DOM level of like a window level event listener. Mm-hmm. You can't do that in the main, you know, function. You have to put it inside a use effect with an mm-hmm. empty callback that only runs initially, and then mm-hmm. like remove event listener to tear it down. Um, and I guess you, I guess you could do add event listener and remove event listener, and then add that dependency. But it just feels like kind of gross to add and remove the event listener every time one of these dependencies change. You know, where sure right so you know if i just have like an event listener and then a handler inside that listener inside the use effect i get uh-huh. stale data so i have to use ref to like get right right because the context that use effect is aware of isn't getting updated exactly so yeah yeah, yeah yeah so that that i've had to do that a handful of times and i'm like there's got to be a way around this that i'm missing yeah what so what were you building let's let's back up a little bit i can't tell you 
you can't tell me. Let's just say it's like a really widgety widget thing. Like it's not like a form app. Oh, I know what you're building. Yeah. I know what you're building. Yes. I We paired on it. Yeah. Yeah. No, we didn't pair on it, but you told me about it. Didn't I show it to you? No, but you asked me my opinions about it. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. I started without a framework. I started, but I actually ended up building my own version of React and then started actually trying What's to... What's wrong with you? I know, dude. It was nuts. Like... I started actually like implementing hooks and doing the whole thing, writing a like non JSX React, you know, but with functional components and uh-huh. all sorts of stuff, dude. And then I was like, I just hit that point where it's like, this is so dumb of me. I am so dumb. I just need to just basically use, use React. React. But I didn't want to use React because React's so huge. Uh-huh. So I used Preact. And cool. I really like it. I'm a fan. It's three yeah. kilobytes. Like, it feels just like the Alpine version of React. Like, Yeah, like Zippy. You can use it inside of another app just for, like, one element. And and it's nice. Three kilobytes. That's it. Hell yeah. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sweet. Turns out being a little more with hooks, but it's still, it's like, yeah. It's sub yeah. five kilobytes, which is crazy impressive to me. That's dope. So, anyway. Yeah, so, dude, so that was one thing. But here's, like, I'm going to give you, like, a React gripe, and then I want to hear your reaction. Mm-hmm. So, JSX is just messier. Mm-hmm. that's just what i found is like Messier if statements band. and loops in a in um view are very organized they're in v4 oh, i see you don't VF. like the you don't like the maps I, I do and i don't i like that it's just javascript i totally like that but doing an if statement with like a you can't write if you know because it's no. like an expression so you do like the the truthy statement and then a ternary or like a short and circuit an and yeah like a short circuit evaluation like double and and then the thing you're doing and that is okay but the nesting is like it's all up to you like how do you want to nest your ternaries and your ands and like nesting an and is kind of weird with like do you put the condition at the top line then the and on the second line or do you start it on that line you know what i mean mm-hmm. i do condition and 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 then i open uh, a multi-line parentheses. parentheses yeah yeah yep and i so i've sort of started yeah like making my own pattern that i think is pretty much that and with ternaries is the same thing is using those multi-line parentheses instead of like opening a tag on the same line yep um and that keeps it like fairly tidy um but you know what i'm saying it's just very bespoke it's like with view it's like they're elements you just nest them and it's very yeah. organized um well also like this is another thing is you Coming from like Livewire and Alpine world, yeah, your tendency to break things into small components early, like you you don't you naturally reach for like how long can I keep this as a single component? Ah, uh, sure. Right. Whereas my my tendency is like, if something is the result of a ternary, you're or the result a of component. a conditional, it should be a component. Right. And, and I so think this is a viewed. A lot of times I don't have those big, long, multi-line sure. things. Yes. And that, so, A, that creates a bunch of indirection. I started doing that too. But then, then like, prop drilling gets really annoying when you're, like, adding a prop to drill down. Um, it just gets annoying. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, things like, do you pass the individual, you know, if you have, like, a, a property you want to pass to a child, like, um, you know, current user or something. You'd say like current user equals current user, which is like, oh, that's really annoying. And when you have like three props, it's already too long. So uh-huh. like, how, what's the so way I to do this? I think there's only one. I think there is only one 
thing that I would say should always happen in contexts and it's current user. Oh, I got you. Right. Okay. I just picked like a, a name, but so, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but like current user is one of those things where it's like, well, you, you would put that in a context. Everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have. Yeah. So anyway, like the, you know, the pattern of destructuring the props is like the way yes. to go, but, um, but still, you know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, I don't know. There's just all these little patterns that I guess are pure JavaScript and that's a good thing, but, um, okay, whatever. My point was the indirection of the small components is nice. Okay, it's th- that story is better than view because view, you don't create a bunch of components in a single file, at least right. in my experience. Uh-huh. In React, I'm creating all sorts of little throwaway functional components inside a single mm-hmm. file. That just return like yeah, three, like two nested elements. Or oh, something. yeah, and I love yeah. it. And I love that like just creating this simple little throwaway component actually is like isolating an entire portion of the tree performance-wise. Mm-hmm. And is like memoizing these props and I can like, I can isolate expensive things so easily in React, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And I also love Did when... Did you like lean heavy into like use memo and stuff? I didn't use use memo once. Oh, really? Really. I use memo all the time. Really? Okay. I figured I'm going to um, write it without use memo. And then if I have like performance issues, I'll use memo. Word. Are you using TypeScript? No. Okay, Caleb, get your shit together. TypeScript please. sucks, dude. I hate get TypeScript your shit so much. Together, I can't use TypeScript. I can't. It would slow me down so much. It would make your code better for also. sure. But I would be so slowed down. I'd rather just deal with the years of bugs than. Well, the thing you're writing is going to be open source, right? Um. Yes. Okay, so if people are going to pull requests, it, and I'm going to be like. Dude, take a hike. Caleb, go why are talk you, to someone else. Why are you fighting the good thing? <laughs> there is there well, there's a little bit of a reaction, like, you know, the, the pendulum needs to swing a little bit back on the TypeScript love. Well, it has a little and with the JS docs felt thing. Yeah. Right. Which is funny how that keeps getting rehashed and got rehashed again today of like people who I remember being excited when I saw like what Svelte is dumping TypeScript, but it's like, no, they're basically not. Like yeah they are but they're not you know it doesn't it's not the headline you want it to be mm-hmm. um but like you're gonna roll your eyes instantly when i tell you of course and you already know that dhh is like <laughs> anti-typescript <laughs> dhh go. is a dumb old man he's like it sucks um, all the joy out of writing javascript why would i write typescript uh, it doesn't though it's so joyful yeah to do typescript well it's messy like, dude it's it's not messy. It's um it's, not it's messy. organized. It's uh it's but organized, it's chaotic. Correct. Or it's um it's, it's only chaotic if you make loud it chaotic. And it's so everywhere. So much extra syntax. Don't put it everywhere. Just put it in the right places. But then I have to like think about the schema ahead of time and like yeah, I know. actually be disciplined about the data structures. Software. I would yeah. rather just throw together objects of all the random stuff I need and add to them over time and depend on them everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Depend on implicit schemas. Yeah. Um I am very aware for sure that there are like a few places I could probably really benefit from TypeScript in this little code base. But dude, TypeScript I don't have time for that. Nobody's got time for TypeScript. You, you don't have time not to have types not to do TypeScript. Yeah. Caleb, if this thing is gonna be open source, how many pull requests <laughs> fixing bugs that wouldn't have happened if you had used TypeScript does it take? 
before you've spent more time dealing with the fact that you didn't write TypeScript than in this scenario. I bet, yeah, like I'll, I'll whatever. I can refactor to TypeScript. How hard is that? That's not hard, right? Just sprinkle it in a few places. Refactoring to TypeScript is ten times harder than just writing TypeScript is in a Greenfield app. No, yeah. what if I change the schemas all the time? That's a bunch of extra work in TypeScript. You know, what do you mean? Change I just don't the want anything to slow me down because I'm like figuring it out. You know, figuring out yeah. what how it's all going to shake out. Data no, I know. But Caleb, like, so the spreadsheet app that you yeah. touched uh-huh. briefly, yeah. right? Uh-huh. I wrote all of these just super dope little objects. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, I have this object called cardinal direction. Yeah. And it's up, down, left, right. Great. Right? Okay. It's got those those four strings. Yeah. But it's like an it's a object, yeah. right? So it's got methods and stuff on it. So it's got like a method called opposite, right? So say I have a cardinal direction that is up, I can call opposite on it and get down. Yeah. Right? Or I can get, uh, so like it's rows and columns that I'm dealing with constantly, right? Yeah. So I can pass you a cardinal direction and then call axis on it. And if it's left and I call axis, I get row. Okay. And if it's right and I get axis, I get column. Or sorry, if it's down and I get axis, I get column, Mm -hmm. right? Which is just so useful because I'm passing these cardinal directions around all the time. I'm saying like move yeah. one cell down. And what that means is add plus one to the axis. Right. Um, you, you can know? do that in JavaScript, Daniel. You can. But it's like <laughs> I do that stuff all the time. Right. But now I know like the thing that this thing accepts is of this type. So it's like I'm guaranteed that this variable Understood. that I'm accepting has You can these also methods. know that in JavaScript. You can just know. Just by remembering everything all the time. Source diving, remembering, yeah, having your application in your head. E- even like autocomplete, you know, like in general, yeah. depending on how you got that object, autocomplete will work and show you those methods. Yeah, I guess maybe if you only make like little baby apps where you don't, where everything's easy to remember in your head all the time. You know? <laughs> then you, you could do that. I think you're right and I think you're wrong. <laughs> maybe if I you think write you're... professional software where there's like complicated domains. You're right and wrong. I will say, I think it is astonishing, and maybe it's just the nature of, of like my work. I can hold it all in my head. All of Alpine and Livewire's code base, of multiple versions, is uh-huh. pretty much in my head, you know? Yeah. I mean, imagine if someone else had to get involved. They would get it in their head. Like Josh Hanley, Eventually. he's like worked on it enough, and now it's in his head. So now he knows like all the... He knows the nature of the code base, you know? So that's that's fine there's no like overhead for me you know i grant you for sure i think a couple things yes if there's people switching in out of a code base typescript it's all sorts of extra security um not not like you know security security but extra just like you know emotional security safety safety and yeah and rely yeah you can just like learn a lot about what the affordances are just on the surface self-documenting code it's nice for sure I grant you that. And in a in a code base with a lots of in a like a information system, which is mm-hmm. what most applications are, having basically having strict adherence to these schemas because so much of the application is data and relying on its form is mm-hmm. so valuable. So But I think there's I classes get. of applications that are less less that benefit less from that. Where like the thing I'm writing, sure. I have like two or three God objects. So I think you and have those no are idea kind of the what data. you're talking about. And the reason you have no idea what you're talking about is because you've never tried the thing that you're criticizing. Um, you have just never written TypeScript, right? 
And yeah, so I, mean, I feel like you have no clue what you're talking about. Yeah, I've never like <laughs> you're just gone making down shit up. It. No, I think the things I'm saying are not making shit up, but I agree I think that I'm talking about at, like, something. A theoretical book no, no, no. You're throwing stones at me. I never said anything about TypeScript, Daniel. Okay. Uh huh. So that's what's you, going you on here. You gotta write some TypeScript, brother. I agree that to know it is to love it, mm-hmm. and you have to know it to really talk about it. And I don't mm-hmm. know it. Yeah. So there you go. I, I agree with that Daniel, as well. This isn't about TypeScript, Daniel. It, uh, all right. Carry on, carry on, carry on. So React. You're, you're react. doing React. You have these little TypeScript. functional components that you can just create a zillion of. Uh-huh. And and that have actual performance implications that is like a nice utility, mm-hmm. you know. So I mm-hmm. love that. And in Vue, you don't have that. Mm-hmm. Like there's probably a way of writing Vue. You could write Vue probably with functions and JSX, mm-hmm. but the, you know it wouldn't be the happy path. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. That like it's like wow, in Vue I would have to create a separate file for every little component, and it's like. In React, I'm making like 10, 20 components in a Do single whatever. file. You're making modules that export 10 different functions. Yeah, whatever. you're doing all sorts of stuff. And I, and I really like that. Um, mm-hmm. JSX, I like. I like being able to... I thought it would be more confusing um, because I've worked with it before on like a, on like a maintenance level and have been mm-hmm. confused by when you're in JSX and when you're out of it, you know? Because mm-hmm. you see the parentheses and you see that like, fra- like fragment syntax. And mm-hmm. you sometimes just don't see parentheses. You just see like a tag. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, confusing. But once I started writing it, it took like an hour. And then I knew the, all the rules and like mm-hmm. was completely familiar. And almost, yeah, there's barely almost never rules. got tripped up on it. Yeah. So, yeah. So that that is nice. Like I thought that was going to suck and it didn't. The the thing with um, the thing with what you were talking about with like multiple multiple exports from a single file type of deal. Yeah. Like... As soon as you get a little outside of PHP world, yeah, like you realize that like most people like the idea of like one file, one object, is very like PHP and view specific, right? Like in Rust world, everyone is bouncing multiple objects out of mul- a file. In JavaScript world, everyone's bouncing multiple objects out of a file. You know, it's just like it seems better to do like files are modules rather than files are objects. Here's my theory on that. Yeah. I, I think it's really kind of the same thing because in JavaScript you have multiple functions being exported and I have like multiple pieces of state being declared. Like mm-hmm. it's essentially a class. It's just state. And well, no, methods. but I've got, I've got files exporting multiple classes. Right. And I, I guess I don't, I, I avoid classes almost entirely. Uh-huh. And maybe that's why I don't run across that. I basically only have classes for like small utilities. Yeah. And they go inside my utils. Uh-huh. But yes, you're right. I mean, that's part of what I love about JavaScript is it's freeform nature. It's yeah. It's so which is loosey goosey juicy. Yes. Which to not open that can of worms, but TypeScript, I think detracts from that somewhat. And I love how freeform it is. Um, <laughs> so that's me digging and telling you not to come at me, bro. <laughs> But Daniel, um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I've just sort of realized that like, oh, the way I write PHP and JavaScript, there's like maybe some subtle differences in my brain. But in reality, what I thought was like JavaScript is so free form and I just have these files that I can do whatever I want in and abide by my own guidelines of what belongs in this file. Mm -hmm. Where PHP, you're kind of bound. Yeah, it's like it's like file equals class. Those are auto loading yeah really like limits you yes 
Um, but I, I've just sort of realized that like, oh, well, I really think kind of the same. It's like, I prefer JavaScript's approach, but it's the single file principle, you know, of like one file is responsible for one kind of like category of things. And I mm -hmm. create state and I export methods and some methods, some functions I don't export. And those are just private. You know, it's like they're private functions. If I export them, they're public functions. If I export the data, it's public data. If I don't, it's private data. This is a class, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's one of my, one of my bits. You know Easy's. what I'm saying, Daniel? It's a good bit. Yeah. It's quite a bit. Yeah. So JSX, here's one random annoying thing. When you're in JSX, okay, if you're, if you have a class, okay, class name is so stupid. That's so stupid. That makes me angry. Sorry, what are you talking about? When you have an element and a class on it, you have to say class name instead of class. Oh, class name. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That is so dumb. That's one of those like React like, purist things that's so like... It's not a React purist thing. It's a JSX thing. Yes, but I guess... Because JSX is JavaScript and class is a reserved keyword in JavaScript. Right. But it doesn't mean you can't just adapt for that. Like Preact allows class and class name because they're like interesting, you don't want and they actually like put in the docs like one of the things react or preact users love most about preact is, is you, can just write class. you can just write class and it's not i'm not sure it's a jsx thing because jsx just renders down to like your h tag or your create you know whatever your react.create or something create element you know you know what i'm saying where yes, like so the react library element, provides yes. react.create element Mm -hmm. that then cares about class name and rendering mm -hmm. it into a template, not JSX. Mm -hmm. So anyway, because um, okay. I'm using a different JX, JSX like transpiler than Preact. I'm just using ES build, you know. Okay. So anyway, dumb. Sure. Yes. Dumb, not ideal, but not something ideal. that you literally forget about immediately. I don't because it. it costs me more characters to type. Sure. And that Well, again, I like to me all of that shit gets auto completed, so I don't even notice. It starts to. Like I type C L A and I guess it starts to autocomplete class name. Um yeah, so maybe I do hit enter and up, but I don't know. I, I don't like it. Okay. So there's that. And like interop between just vanilla HTML templates from other places. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just the copying and pasting stuff. It is annoying. It's annoying. And they have the, yes. the JSX transformer thing. But I don't know what that is. Uh, like on the React website, they link to a transformer where you can transform vanilla HTML gotcha. to JSX and back and forth. I see. Um, but yeah. And like if you're using Tailwind Play, and this is interesting because mm -hmm. the Tailwind dudes are all React dudes. You can't use JSX class name. You know, it has to be normal class. Like I feel like they, mm -hmm. they need a little toggle. Mm -hmm. Adam, if you're listening to this, make that little toggle, bud. Because mm -hmm. Tailwind, uh, Tailwind components are, they give you like a React export that has class name. Yeah. Yeah. You can just like switch to the React mode and mm -hmm. get class name. Right. And same with uh, Heroicons. If you're downloading mm -hmm. an icon, you can copy the SVG or copy the JSX. And it already kind of like... Dude, shout out to Heroicons. Yeah, I use it all the time. Me too. Big fan. It's the greatest. It is great. Yeah, I... It's like with any icon library, I could use probably 50 more mm -hmm. or something. You know, there's there's definitely a handful of times where I come up dry and I'm like, man, now I have to search through the entire library 
until I find like the one that's like kind of okay enough. You know, I hadn't messaged Steve Sugar in like a couple of years. Yeah. Right. Like we just hadn't talked in a couple of years. And then when I was working on the NFT stuff, there was no coin icon in Heroicons. Mm. And I just messaged him. I was like, hey, bro, how about a coin icon? <laughs> did he do it? He did. He made me an SVG. That's awesome. He's a very sweet man. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. And the search, like I forget what library does this really, really well. They at least have kind of fuzzy search, you know? Uh-huh. Where it's like you can search a name that's not part of the name, but yeah. like somebody Font added awesome metadata. What you're of. Maybe I don't know. Either feather the icons awesome. or Font Fon Awesome. Maybe Font Awesome. Font Awesome's website is insane. Okay, so good. Yeah, I haven't used that in so long, but yeah, you could search like some. You'll almost always get a result for any like techie mm-hmm. word you search. Where Rocons is like pretty good. So they have metadata, which is nice, but it's not you know whatever it's not their like flagship product it's just a thing that they offer so yeah love it glad it exists um so in react if you have a bunch of hard-coded classes and then you want to dynamically add a class or two oh you have to then change that class name bit to in to be entirely dynamic Mm -hmm. just for that one class you want to toggle where yeah, view whereas in Alpine, is, you would do class and then colon class. Yeah, and view is the same way. It's like yeah. it feels very like just tag on a little dynamic class portion. It feels very separate. I like it a lot. But yeah, React is like, okay, I have to get into like a, a string literal, you know, and then, mm-hmm. and then you know, uh, interpolate or whatever, like in that string literal for just my dynamic portion. Um, mm-hmm. Which here's another little thing with... Uh, a string literal, you know, where you have the back ticks. Mm-hmm. You know, you get in a JavaScript with dollar sign curly brace. Mm-hmm. That trips me up. It just kept like biting me because JSX is just a plain curly brace, mm-hmm. and that's a dollar sign curly brace. So there mm-hmm. would just be times where my brain would do the opposite. You know. Sure. Um, yeah, because they serve very similar functions. You're like escaping into JavaScript. Right. You know what I'm saying? But one time you yeah, get a money or escaping. Sign, one time you yeah, don't. yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. So there's that. And oh, here's like another bit of mine. JSX is cool because you get little JavaScript caves inside of your template. Mm -hmm. Like you can do a dot map and then your function, you're actually like, you can declare variables and stuff Mm -hmm. and do work inside that. And I actually like that. Yes. So it is cool. Well, and like also like the IDE integration is so big for why JSX is good. Right. Because, like, VS Code knows that you're writing JavaScript right now. Yeah. Right? Yep. And so, like, you get all of the benefits of writing JavaScript. Yeah. Just inside of your HTML. Yeah. You know? Yep. Which is, like, when you're writing Alpine or something, like, <clears throat> sometimes... Yeah, it's it like, knows to really get the JavaScript, JavaScript foo, you want to extract your stuff into right. dedicated JavaScript. But, like, if you are writing, like, inline JavaScript in a template tag... <coughs> Yeah, you don't get that. You don't get that. There is an Alpine extension that I don't use, I think, that that I think gives you some amount of that, or at least syntax highlighting inside the quotes. But yes, totally. You're not in... It's very much but like I'm, you're in HTML. Yeah. I'm fully like a extract everything guy now. So in it Alpine. doesn't affect me. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, my, I want my only interaction with the HTML to be uh, custom directives. Yep. Um, understandable. Daniel, another... Okay, this is... I've said this 
we've talked about this, but now I've yeah. sort of lived it a little bit that hooks are great and horrible. They uh-huh. are fun uh-huh. and intellectually challenging. It makes uh-huh. them fun. Uh-huh. They add so much mental overhead to your Some setup. of them, yeah. It, they're obscure. They're hard to track down. They are this small set. You know, you love them because they're this small set of composable utilities that once you mm-hmm. understand the nature of them, they are reliable. And if there's a problem, mm-hmm. it's your problem because you compose them improperly, you know. Mm-hmm. But things like in view, adding a watcher, you know, it's like you don't, you just, it's just watch. And then this thing, you know, where in React, this is not a great example because this is actually a really simple usage of hooks. Use effect with a dependency, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the equivalent. Um, I actually did write a note that I'm way quicker to do use effect with a dependency than to write a watcher in view because they just feel mm-hmm. so lightweight in React. Yeah. They feel so throwaway. It's like, oh, no problem. You know, just write a mm-hmm. little effect. And it forces me to decouple a lot of like my quote unquote effects, you know, of like things that care about about a piece of state yeah. that need to know when they change and do something. It's like, I'll add a few different effects that all have their own little, you know, yeah, they're like independent. And I really like that. Mm-hmm. Or like in view, I think I would write like a single watcher and I don't even write watchers that much in view. You know, you kind of avoid them, right? Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I generally feel like if I'm writing a lot of use effects, there's a problem. Okay. Right? Like, I, I don't like to have a lot of use effects. So, th- this is difficult because the domain of the thing you're doing is so use effect heavy. Yes. It's a very reactive right, like, widget thing. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, I can't, I don't want to, I don't want to yeah. talk about it. But, like, the domain you're writing is so different from just writing, like, a normal app. If I was, like, writing an inertia app, with like a bunch of data that gets like sent down to a page and displayed and there's not a ton of like, you know. Yeah. Like really, I only ever need to use a use effect if I am depending on something outside of React. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and generally that's going to be something like a third-party JavaScript library or... uh some sort of like dom library yeah or some you know whatever like something that isn't under the control of react yeah right because when i'm just writing react where it's just like there's data and like i'm looping through arrays and rendering child components and doing all this stuff there's no need for a use effect almost ever yeah right because if you mutate the state it's all going to rerun it gets recalculated anyway yeah Which I'm sure Primogen would yell at me for, you know, whatever. For just letting Have you all... heard his whole bit? No. About, like, how JavaScript can be fast, except that it's not, because no one no one likes to write the kind of JavaScript that is fast. Oh, interesting. No, hit me. He, well, it's basically, like, Java, what's slow in JavaScript is allocating memory. Okay. Um, so, if you just reuse the same variable... Mm javascript is fast yeah funny but no one likes to do that they like to map and filter and copy everything multiple times into new variables right and every time you copy it into a new variable it makes it slow yeah i do so he's like if you just like mutate an array by foreaching over it and changing its contents 
rather than mapping it into a new array, like it will be fast. That is something I am aware of. And I was just, I was just seeing somebody like somebody just tweeted something like, uh, you know, I'm 10 year, I'm a 10 years into react and like, here's my pull request or something. I don't know if you saw that. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I didn't see it. Okay. They did. It was just basically converting a dot push into a like overriding the variable or creating a new variable with um, exp like spreading out, like basically concatenating, but using object destructuring, you know? Uh -huh. And I, I forget the context and why it was clever, whatever. But the point, like one of the takeaways is I'm just like, wow, my gut is so against that because of what you just did there, you know, where it's like, I would so dot push, like, I dot push, I dot shift, I, f I write straight up for loops, for mm -hmm. of loops, like almost all the time. Because in my mind, for something like Alpine, it's like, you know, for framework-y type, type code, it's like, oh my gosh, this, this object could be massive. And mm -hmm. to just copy, copy it. it. Yeah, and use yeah. state is so weird to me. That's like, wait, so I feel like, I think I, like my gut, reaction was like okay i'm gonna mutate this object and then i'm gonna call use state and pass itself into it not call use state call set state mm -hmm. pass itself into it just to trigger the re-render but mm -hmm. to like not create a new object in memory and mm -hmm. i think it didn't let me i think it didn't trigger it because it was the same reference hmm is that possible like how if you have use state if you say like you know yeah, probably because it wasn't different yeah like if you say let users and set users well, equal use state as an empty array, okay? Uh-huh. And then you want to push on the users. If you just do like users.push and then and push then some data and then call set state users. Yeah, I bet it's the same as like uh, an eloquent update, right? Where like if you call update on a model, but none of the fields you're updating are different than the existing fields, mm. it doesn't do a database right. Gotcha. Right, where in this case, and that's like fine and eloquent because why would it? Right, but in this case, except, except, except maybe the depending on it changing like the dirty, yeah, or right, the updated right. at yeah. or something. You need to call like refresh and then do it again. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So anyway, that was just something that that it that caught my eye as like React really wants you to concatenate stuff, mm -hmm. and it just feels so dirty to me. Mm -hmm. You know. Anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I'm i less and less enamored with React as time goes on. Mm. Um, I'm more... I mean, even if I wanted to be like... I mean, I write mostly Alpine. But even if I wanted to be writing JSX... Big JS. Big JS. <laughs> I would probably do solid at this point. Yeah. Right? Like if I wanted to be writing JSX templates and stuff, like that's how I would do it. The nice thing about react is you feel like you're in the happy path of big JS. Yeah. I don't want to like, be, I right. don't like them. Yeah, I know. But it, <laughs> it's like, like so this guys. is like the first time in my career I've been in the happy path of big JS no, I know. since, since I, my view days, you know? Yeah. And I think like I've earned not liking <laughs> it cause I've put in my time, you know, I've written. Yes big react and react native apps yeah. and stuff and like i've just eaten all the shit for sure so like i'm just like i don't want to i just want to write just little rinky dink javascript yeah. where i control everything and you know and it's fun it's easy to make it's easy to make a react app inefficient 
It's easy to make a bad React app. That and, is but, true. So true. when I think this, when I think like more broadly, like it's easy to make a bad React app, I take pause because I I really do believe it's easy to make a shitty app in every framework. And That's it's true. very possible to like, like a good programmer or somebody who, you know, has like puts a lot of time and craft into whatever. Mm-hmm. Like if Taylor comes to a foreign framework, he's not writing shitty apps. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's part of it's just like the shitty developers write shitty apps and good developers sure. write good apps. The framework yeah, yeah. is kind of like whatever. But there are, of course, like I said, like I think a very tangible example is in Vue, you're going to have a more structured situation than mm-hmm. in React. In React, it's mm-hmm. more like wily. There's mm-hmm. just shit everywhere if you don't well, organize you yourself. You let TypeScript structure for you, yeah. But even JSX, like TypeScript doesn't care about JSX. Yeah, yeah. It's just sure, you're sure. going to have weird shit everywhere. Yeah. Um, uh daniel um react on so what did what did i say before you said it's easy to write you know bad react well you were saying it's easy to make a react app inefficient right but the nice thing is you can just console.log inside of a component and it will log every time it runs so -hmm. it's like to get intel into how often something is re-rendering is so easy Mm-hmm. I love that. It's mm-hmm. like so easy to just, I could just throw a console.log and say like render, you know? And then yeah. I look in .log and see, oh, there's like oh, three there's... renders for every change. It's like, that's messed up. How do I get that Something's done? Something's wrong. You know? Yeah. How do I? Yeah. Um, so, so when I built my framework to start this project, I built basically React intuitively because mm-hmm. it is so nice to build something that re-renders the whole tree and then settles the differences. As mm-hmm. opposed to solid or something that does an an initial render and then that's it, you know. Mm-hmm. Then you're then you just have a runtime component or Svelte, sort of the same thing, right? But there's performance trade offs where like that's better for performance. That's that's like a deeper React better philosophy. For, and this is the this is the thing. Like, I think the like it's better for some performance, right? Like that's the thing is like. This intuit, this intuitive understanding of like what sorts of performance each one is good for, yeah, is like this is something I feel like talking to you over the last couple of years as you've gotten deeper into this and as the ecosystem has become more aware of this, yeah, has been like really informative to me. And I feel like I'm like always looking at apps and being like, oh, look, that action is probably slow because this is a React app. Mm. or like in this other case like oh man this is an alpine app and like this thing would be faster if this was react right because so it's like oh look like they're sorting a giant list you know like damn that would be faster if this is a react app right yeah versus like oh like they're editing something in a giant list well that would be way faster if this is an alpine app or something you know yep yeah totally like react that style is so good at like having to re-render a massive amount of stuff and then only change a specific amount in the dom you know where like solid or something is has that fine grain re- but it's the same performance trade-off that like uh, the prime engine is talking about yeah yeah where it's like mutation versus mutation exactly yeah. like in react you get the reliability of copying you know mm-hmm. of like that expressing that map or filter or concatenation where you know, if you mutate it directly, it's faster, but you get like state, stateful problems, state, state drift, problems, you know, yeah. you get the problems of state where React is very 
protects you from that or frees you from it and but yeah, i won't take your hand and marry the state yeah i'm aware yeah so it's just interesting uh you know to walk on the wild side mm-hmm. and i'll say that um yeah it's I like that React is the wild side. For me, I know. Like the most normal the most normal JavaScript anyone has ever written. You're like, ooh, this is exotic. Right. Spicy. I will say the one like for anybody who's interested in trying any of these things who, you know, like you said, everybody I'm the last person to try it all. Everybody's already tried this all. <laughs> but Preact is awesome, but there's like you don't get the official React dev tools and yeah. build stuff. And those are like the two things that's like Did you really did you how did you feel about the dev tools? I'm not use Did, them because I'm using Preact. Oh, right. Gotcha. So, so you didn't get the opportunity. No, I wanted to. I almost switched to React. And just so you know, and the listener knows, switching from Preact to React should be as simple as like changing your imports from class Preact to, class to, re- to React. Well, I just use class name because I want to keep that ability. But yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, go on. Well, I was just interested because I wanted to know what your experience of the dev tools was. Because <clears throat> you don't use the dev tools for your own projects, right? Like you don't l- use LiveWire dev tools or Alpine I dev tools, do you? I don't, no. I use both. Oh, do you? Yeah. Interesting. Um, and now I can't actually use Alpine dev tools anymore because it doesn't work when you're in custom directive world. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, I was just like wanted to know what your experience of using those dev tools was because i'm like such a dev tools head oh and you're not I'm and not. i just wanted to like know what your vibe was <laughs> view i used view dev tools a fair amount for one era of view development for me mm-hmm. i do remember a point where kind of with debug bar it's like with any of these things you use them a lot it's oh dude it's like step debugging too you start using you go how have i not been using this all along yeah and then eventually like maybe you switch laptops and you don't reinstall the thing. Yeah, it's like the bell and then you thing. just like forget about it. And <laughs> you're like, right. I like, yeah. And then I think View Dev Tools and Debug Bar have all those have always been that way for me. React Dev Tools, there's just so many nice things in React Dev Tools. Just like checking a boolean and having it re-render as you're checking and unchecking a checkbox okay. in your Dev Tools. Yeah. So you what know? do you use React Dev Tools for? So you're mutating state, you know. In, yeah, just in, mutating state live and seeing what happens. Or okay. like, say you have some piece of state that like, okay, say like I'm doing a thing and the thing that I, I expect to happen isn't happening. Yeah. Right? Like, whatever, I'm clicking the close button and the modal's not closing. Yep. And I'm like, okay, is it because I'm not actually nice. clicking it? Right. Because something, because the Z indexes are wrong? Yeah, is the state Or am changing? I clicking it yeah. and we're not reacting to the data correctly? Right. Right. So I can just look at the dev tools and click the button and see, is the data actually changing That's nice, or not? Yeah. Right. You I know? do the equivalent of like when I have that question. That's a, that's good because that's a total, that is like the quintessential problem statement. You know, it's just mm-hmm. a very common experienced problem. And I open the dev tools. I get the whatever, if it's live or Alpine, I, I have this problem in both. I get the object off of the root element of the component. And then I check and then the just, data in like a very, in a way that like, if you don't know internals, you're not going to do it. So yeah. I do, but I, I do that. like Which I, is what I do now. Cause I can't use Alpine dev tools. Cause I'm in, yeah. I'm in psycho. So land. you do like dollar sign zero dot data stack. Get the first anyone item. Anyone else writes Alpine the way that I write Alpine. <laughs> I might be the only guy. Writing I don't know. Alpine People, we way. just released a breaking change for a small, for a subsection of a subsection of Alpine users. Basically people who use a build step and uh-huh. Use a build step in some specific way. Got bit by the last version because of a PR someone made. 
and it was illuminating to me of like, oh yeah, like a lot of people write it that way, you know, the Daniel yeah. way. The, it's always well, and like, like illuminating. Doing everything as custom directives is like, like it's kind of psychotic, but like it's also very reacty in the mm. sense that like it's almost like getting custom tags, but not quite. Right. Right. Yeah, but you're like, I can just slap this on a div and now like everything else is taken care of. Right. It's uh it has it has the pro of it's actually very stimulusy because you're sure. composing behavior onto an element rather yeah. than encapsulating all the behavior into a single component or custom element like lid or something. Right. Yeah, like you could stick multiple Yeah. And that, that's very stimulus. And I really liked that. that that's with sick. Stimulus. I would love to do that. Just like make a bunch of custom directives that each describes like a different behavior and slap them all onto yeah. one element. I think that's a great way to use it. For sure. I mean, that's what Alpine Core does so itself, cool. you know, so you just extend it. Well, this is like, so Rust is so composable. It's composability foo. Okay. That's the whole thing with Rust. Yeah. So like you create a type, right? And then you want to like put behavior on that type, okay. right? You can, uh, you basically like declare functions for the type, right? Okay. But you can create traits, right? Mm-hmm. And traits are basically like chunks of behavior, right? Yep. And you can make them derivable. Um, so you can like derive a trait. So for example, here there's a library called Surdy, which is like a JSON parsing library. Okay. Right? Um, or sorry, it's a, like a JSON serializing and deserializing library, I guess is what you would call it. Yep. And it's not just JSON. It's in any... Toml or YAML, JSON, whatever. Yeah. Um, but you can basically take any type that you write and just put an attribute above it that says derive serialize, comma, deserialize. Yep. Right? And that will make it so that Surdy can serialize and deserialize that object. Okay. And if for some reason Surdy can't do that, then you have to implement those methods. So how is this different than a trade in PHP? We'd have like can serialize or like sushi, you know, use sushi. Because you're not because you're not doing it at declaration time of the object. Right? So when you write a class, yeah. You have to put the like derive you have to put the use trait like in the class yeah. declaration. Right. Whereas here you do it you can do it totally separately. So you can say like uh, declare this method on this class in a totally different file oh, if you want to. Yeah. So like you can, it's like writing onto the prototype in JavaScript. Right, like you can just right, like right. mutate your class signature. Yeah, it's like using reflection in other to places. Like change and like you could class. do it conditionally. You could like conditionally <coughs> declare different methods. Like you could say like, if I have this that's feature flag enabled, then declare this method. Oh, Otherwise, cool. declare this other method. You know, like yeah, that's cool. It's crazy. You can do all kinds of crazy shit. Mm. But you basically like, like, uh, it's not. They're not classes. They're very much not classes, right? Mm. They're objects, and you can like With declare functionality on them. And like, if they need access to this, yeah, right. Like, if they need access to the object state, yeah. What you do is you just have the first argument be self. Okay. Of the function. Interesting. Right? Yeah. But yeah, like you actually have to like pass the self into it. Right. Hmm. 
it's not an object that's like um, where it has its own state like binding you know in, in yeah, javascript like, like dot bind yeah. you have to specify that this is the first argument that's interesting uh yeah my kingdom for a javascript api that allows you to uh, what's curry like parameter currying or whatever where you can mm -hmm. like pre-fill arguments but one that you don't mm -hmm. have to start with the this context of the same function that you're saying bind on you know <laughs> right yeah. it makes it so unergonomic something that would be so like nice makes it just ugly um, one thing yeah. that rust doesn't have that it should have is like method overloading like i feel like rust should have method overloading because it's got such a yeah. strong type system mm -hmm. like why would you not allow me to just declare the same method four different times but with different yeah arguments I, that's know? interesting they don't have that that's one of those like that's like a functional th programming that's my staple. my yeah it's it's my um like party uh line for like things i'm jonesing on in other languages oh you're a c sharp yeah. developer oh that's so sick that you have method overloading i wish yeah. you know it seems like it should have it right like it's so like yeah haskell uh inspired you know like there's so much functional programming in rust but like that's the one functional programming party trick that it doesn't have right. is like no method overloading well yeah well that sucks is everybody over rust daniel i don't think so this is so funny because it was like you know rust everybody loves rust now and it was just like i think out of nowhere not rust the I language think, didn't but the hype did yeah, I don't think so. And here's and my And now it's like, this. oh wait, are we all so, over it? Well, people are mad about like the Rust Foundation and stuff. Yeah. Right? But like Crab Lang is popping off. Like all this stuff like Right, but that itself is like a what? Like what? It's just a fork of Rust. I, well, I know, but it's like a fork with a purpose that is it, it represents the turmoil and the like Well, right, but what I'm is saying the is the Primogen using like, Crab Lang, you know? No, but nobody cares about the Primogen. Is Google like Google banned c and c plus plus like in all of android really like you have to write rust if you're going to write new memory safe or new like garbage collected Crazy. or like memory relevant low-level code in the android thing you have to write it in rust no kidding uh microsoft their entire azure team said no more c c plus plus and c sharp you have to write rust for anything low no level on, in the Azure ecosystem. Crazy. Like, because the cost of these like memory overload or these uh, buffer overflow bugs, right? Like they're the single biggest source of bugs in all of programming. Buffer overflow is memory leaks? Yeah. Well, no, it's like, so say I have like a string or like an integer. Say I have like an int 16 yeah. or something, uh -huh. right? And someone manages to pass in like an integer that's bigger than the buffer that was allocated for it. It doesn't prevent you. So it like spills right. over and messes with the memory of like, it a, spills the over next and messes thing. with memory of the next thing. Yeah. Oh, right. Bummer. That's crazy so that it doesn't where... protect you from that. Or I guess well, that's, that, that's kind of the whole point is like the, if you get a lot of efficiency probably by not protecting against that. Well, like you're in charge of your own memory <coughs> with yeah. C or whatever right so i mean with c that makes sense i because it's just such a whatever but c plus plus i would figure has guardrails against that but maybe not yeah well crazy. It, it doesn't have enough because like the single biggest source of so like uh windows basically the single biggest source of security bugs in the last 
two decades has just mm. been like buffer overflows crazy at dude. random places in windows oh my gosh and so they're basically saying like well if you're writing things that could be buffer overflowed like you have to write them in rust wow like you know and this is the thing it's like i don't like sure like open source community people are like mad about rust right now but like the biggest companies in the world are fundamentally just insisting that all new code get written in this language because it's like the only good language good enough to do the shit that they need to do at scale dependably fast like discord is completely rewriting huge parts of their stack they don't use nginx anymore because it's too slow hmm. like they rewrote their own fucking web proxy in rust it's crazy like this is what i'm saying it's like it's in the last two years rust has sunk its hooks so deeply into programming as an industry yeah like if someone's mad about a conference speaker that is not not going it's to not do anything shake it it's not gonna like it's impossible for it to shake it it would there's billions of dollars on the line yeah like it's not it's not gonna matter you know okay I feel like Rust is apps like there's no chance that we're not writing Rust in five years. Not um, that we won't also be writing other things. Yeah. But like there's no chance that people aren't paying us to write Rust. Well, you, people don't pay you to write things except for me. <laughs> uh, except for you. You are my one employer. No, people do pay you to write things sometimes. But like not all really. I do is get paid to write things. Yeah. Right. And so like there's no people chance that in five years yeah. I'm not getting paid to write Rust. Yeah. Like. For web applications, yeah, and for mobile applications, Dude. and for desktop, like, yeah, Rust is it's coming, baby. Trains Why can't I write Rust for Daisy Seed, bro? I feel like such a buffoon sitting here. You must. I'm be like learning C which is so. Have feels you not so like dumb. Googled Daisy Seed Rust? Uh, I haven't. I just googled I, like I promise languages. Because the thing with Rust people is they absolutely insist on writing Rust. Okay. So, like, if someone had a daisy seed. I got my daisy seed earlier this week. Thanks, Michael. And put together a simple starter project for using the daisy seed with the Rust programming Rust language. starter for daisy seed. There you go. Oh, I'm looking. I'm reading the same thing. Currently, it implements Blinky. I, I mean, it should be simple enough, but I don't understand programming at a low level at all. So, I have no idea, like, what goes into making this possible. Like, is there just some, like, C-binding wrapper thing written in Rust? I don't know how Rust like deals with C. Does it? Is well, it? no, but but you gotta the Daisy seed isn't running C. Right, it's, it's running, running a binary. binary. Yeah, but like, how do they get so the library need... to? How do they get like lib seed or whatever? To... Well, so it looks like what he's doing is defining a target, right? So like Rust has different compilation targets. Okay. So you can say like you're compiling to run on like an ARM sixty four architecture. You're compiling yeah. to run on like uh, x eighty six infrastructure. So it looks like. I'm reading the docs on his project. Yeah. And it looks like the first thing you do is like add a target. Rust up target add this thing. Yeah. Okay. And I guess what you're doing is like creating like a new compilation target that you can compile your program yeah. for. The only problem with this is it's so then let me change my statement to it's a bummer that it's not like an official thing and happy path. And, you know, right. it's already an experimental project. So there's, you know, it's just not insanely polished so for me to just yeah. use like some random dudes like rust starter kit i'm just gonna shoot myself in the foot more than anything but um, a board support package for the electrosmith <laughs> daisy seed and patch sm version 0.73 it's had 14 versions this seems real yeah all right how it'll try it 
Yeah. Um, okay, so that that's Daniel's take on Rust. I'm here for it, and I appreciate that knowledge, Daniel. So, and I mean, like the Rust Foundation is definitely, or sorry, not the Rust Foundation, the Rust Project. Okay, you know, is definitely like having a bad time and doing some stuff that's bad. Yeah, like making some real bad decisions. Mm. You know, that being said, like I think this is just gonna work itself out. Like open source is strong. Great. Like. And the language is so embedded, like, someone will figure it out. Maybe Microsoft will just give $5 million to the people who run the crab lang, and then it'll become the new official shit, you know? Whatever. Great. Yeah. That'd be great. All right. I mean, that's good, because I, I like clarity, you know? I just, like, was happy that we all kind of agreed that, like, one language was the best one, and it's not really, like, a question of, you know, where to put your your like new language uh time mm-hmm. new language learning energy and then now like it's like wait a second should it be in zig or or ocamel <laughs> or yeah, bhp I think, the, I think prime might have just run out of rust content it was like i gotta try some other shit so i can keep making new content yeah i mean he like literally couldn't like say the word rust or use the logo right and that was like one of well the... yeah i mean i think he was playing it up a little bit but yes gotcha. okay yeah um, Daniel, in other trying new things news, I am using Tailwind in a deeper way for the first time. Mm, what does that mean? Like I'm just traditionally not like the Tailwind build step config guy. I'm more sure. like the CDN guy. Um, but I have to say, really embracing the Tailwind config has been really nice. And I even wrote a plugin for glowing like if you want like a something to look like a glowing light you know an element mm-hmm. like shadow isn't the way even a colored shadow because it still is a shadow it's still like offset down on the y-axis yeah. you know i just wanted to not be offset and to glow so i was like i i honestly i go like i looked i searched tailwind docs glow enough times like twice i think thinking it must exist you know doesn't that kind yeah. of seem like a utility that should exist yeah glow Especially for dark mode. Like it's something that uh-huh. I think is used. So so Adam, why don't you go ahead and add glow, okay, bud? So I, I added a plugin and it's a really ergonomic experience. Um we could go into all details about like random stuff I did with the plugin, but long story short, the like really embracing the Tailwind config is uh was a good experience. I'm like a nice. real Tailwind dude now. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm so real dude. Dude, you're out here doing all the stuff. You're writing React. I you're doing am Tailwind. big JavaScript <laughs> itself. I am fully TM embedded. JavaScript. We never really talked on the podcast about the like uh, Laravel curiosity from the JavaScript scene moment. Yeah, we did. Yeah, the little blip in time. But that was an interesting. That was an interesting blip. It was. I think part of it is a mirage because uh-huh. the guy who kind of amped it up and wrote it is never did any of it. Well, Laravel. true. Um, uh, what's his name? Adam.dev. Yeah. Uh-huh. He, he doesn't have that big of an audience. Yeah. He seems like a nice dude. So there's mm-hmm. that. Doesn't have that big of an audience. And it was just one of those things where like the whole Laravel community was so excited that this like JavaScript influencer dude was like shining mm-hmm. a light on Laravel that I think our reaction was even like, over overhyped yeah. like for what was actually for what limelight was actually given to us was like yeah he's not like a big dude 
and yeah, he didn't like pursue it very much and you know, but it it is a great opportunity. Of course, my cockles are warmed that mm-hmm. that the Laravel is getting, you know, visibility and shine yeah. and like people should definitely bow down and kiss the ring and acknowledge that Laravel is basically the most complete and elegant ecosystem for backend web out there in existence. In existence. Yeah. 100%. And it spurred that awesome like Laravel landing page on the front end. I love the it's just page. like that's fantastic. That's that's a and a lot of Livewire love on there too. There was definitely some Livewire love, and that was really nice. Um, but yeah, just as a oh, Laravel, did you get one of those T-shirts, those Livewire love T-shirts? No, the tall stack one. Yeah, I guess I gotta order that, huh? Yeah, dude. I love the T-shirt. I didn't even know it was for sale. I guess I thought Taylor was just like teasing it or something. I don't know if it's for sale either, okay. but I figured maybe you would have one. I should get one. Daniel Colborn. Uh, I have thousands, well, not thousands, hundreds of thunk stickers now. Nice. So hit hit me up in uh, Nashville, people. Oh, yeah. Dude, we're like a month and a half away from Laracon. Dude, so who's all going to Laracon, listeners? I'm bringing the whole thunk crew. You're bringing the whole crew. That's awesome. I'm staying in your hotel. I didn't tell you that, but I booked Chris a hotel is for also me there. The whole Internachi crew is there. Yeah. So what's that hotel called? The Dream Hotel? The, the Dream. So yeah, if you're going to Laracon and you haven't booked a hotel, book the Dream. The Dream. Hang out with at. me and the Deke and the Thunk crew and Mitchell. Yeah. And Boss Mitchell's. Um. Yeah. Dude, I am so stoked. I am stoked. I out of my am mind, so, I'm so stoked. I'm so stoked to also give a talk, but I am also like, ah, I wish I wasn't giving a talk so that I didn't have to care about like giving a talk. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just want to frolic and run free in the Laravel do, community. Do the do the stuff. We should do like a dinner. Yeah, I was thinking like we. That's why I asked we you if you were staying dinner. an extra day. I'm staying an extra day. I mean, I could. Okay. I can. My life is flexible. I think that would be fun. Right, like there should okay. be an extra day post Laracon that's just you know, hang out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah cool i haven't booked my flights though so should probably do i have that, booked huh? mine i haven't booked you're the flying huh? the other like you're yet. pretty close there but so i honestly i what are you five hours, overestimated hours. how far away it was how many hours it's only three hours Come i could on, totally dude. drive oh i thought it was like gosh, seven dude. i thought it was like seven it's hours it's gonna take you like, way longer to just travel by plane i know there. i know I three really hours dude i should fly to your house and drive with you that would be the move That'd be chill. If there was direct flights to your house, I would so do that. I think there are direct flights to my house. Not from Buffalo. On Allegiant. I don't think from Buffalo. I think so, actually. No way. <laughs> you're wrong. Googling. Wish you were right. If you're right, I'm booking it. <clears throat> what are we at here? Time-wise, yeah, we're about at that hour mark there, bud. Oh, yeah, we got to roll, bro. Um, we can't be talking any But, any yeah, further. but we can't just leave the listener hanging on if there's direct flights from Buffalo, so we got to get that. Well, don't worry. The JavaScript on the Allegiant website is broken. So of that course. We'll never know. Big JavaScript shits the bed again. again. Yeah. What is this, a view website? Oh, my land. Oh, All right. my. All well, right. We love it. This was a we fantastic episode. Um, very deep software. Very fun. Yeah, good times. Daniel is just such a good guy. Daniel, it's been too long. 
it's been far too long good times people we'll be seeing you come to nashville and i'll see you even if you can't buy a ticket because you are it's already sold out just go to the grand Ole opry and then hang out with us later yes yeah just come to nashville you don't need to actually go to laricon yeah lots of people go there for all kinds of reasons sure yeah to get big in the music scene Mm-hmm. yeah maybe you come to nashville get big in the music scene and then after laricon we'll go to your show perfect play if a honky tonk highway show all right and uh let's do it let's cue that outro music cue the right outro music here yeah.